<laughs> Thank you, brother so, Johnny. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, he got your back. Right. So, um, we are part of the teaching rotation for relational care class. And so, um, we are part of the rotation with Ron and Jean, and also Ann and Dave. And um, just really thankful and blessed to be here. One of the things that we firmly um, all agree with is there is nothing more important in your Christian walk than relational care. Nothing more important. Not your jobs, not your 401ks, not your careers, none of that. As Christ followers, we were created by a relational God. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in perfect relationship. They created us to have relationship with them and relationship with others. There's nothing more important in your life than learning what that is, learning who God is, learning who you are in God, and learning to be relational and learning to live in relational care. Can I add to that? So in our Western culture, when we hear the word learn, we all pretty much think the same things. We think, okay, I'm going to learn. That means I'm going to have a book, and I'm going to have a pen, or I'm going to have a highlighter, or somebody's going to talk to me, and I just need to somehow absorb everything that they're saying to me because I need to walk away with more information. That's not what we're talking about. That's not relational care. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, he did not give Adam a textbook. He did not give him a highlighter. He did not give him a pen. He did not say, sit down in the chair, Adam, and I'm going to you know, download to you scholastically everything that I need to download to you. He developed relationship. So what we're talking about is stuff that your heart is the notebook. You know, in Jeremiah, God spoke about how he would write, and in Ezekiel, he talked about how he would, he would, there would be this new covenant, and his word would be written on our hearts. So your heart becomes the notebook. But in order for your heart to be the notebook, your heart has to be free enough to receive what God is saying to you, what your spouse is saying to you, your girlfriend, your fiance, your teacher, because let's face it, how many of us were in school where if we didn't like the teacher, how much of it did we learn? It was hard. We may have learned it because we knew we needed it to graduate. Jean, you can testify to that because you deal with students who had all kinds of roadblocks in terms of learning. But once you figured out a way to get around what you didn't like about that teacher, you had spent a whole lot of time with that book <laughs> to get that information. So what we're talking about when we say relational care is stuff that comes to the heart. And, and to, to partner with what my sister said earlier, we're not talking about relational care now means that I can have a tantrum because I feel like having a tantrum right now. Yes, I am over three. <laughs> but I feel like having a tantrum this morning because I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And so all of a sudden I get to do that. We're not talking about that. So um, if there's any fear that comes up in you about, are you guys talking about you know, feelings leading everything? That's not what we're talking about. So the other thing we're talking about is we're not saying that you shouldn't come with a notebook and take notes. That's right. Okay. Um, there's a reason why God gave us a Bible and wrote stuff down, mm -hmm. right? Um, 
so that we can go back and then we can grow and we can have the word in front of us. So I would suggest that as you're going, as we go through this series, there are things that you are probably going to write down. We are going to give some handouts, but um, there are going to be some things that you're going to want to kind of retain. Um, this will also be, we have a podcast, so these will also be on podcast. If you miss um, any of these, you can always go to um, the podcast website and you can uh, pick those up. So this series is called Creating Safety in Relationships. One of the things that all of us just have experienced in life is that we run into relationships that are not safe. We run into people that aren't safe. Those people can be in our families, they can be, we could be married to those people. We could have co-workers, we could have church people, anywhere where we have relationship, we're, we're inevitably going to run into people that are not safe. We ourselves, okay, are people, if we don't know what safe relationships are, I would venture to say that all of us have areas in our lives that we are not safe. We may be on the way, we may be safer in some places that aren't, okay? But we all have that. So this is not a judgment or this is not something linear that, you know, I'm a safe person, I've arrived. And all these people down here have not arrived to where I've arrived because they're not safe, okay? All of us have those areas, okay? The whole idea about that is we need to go to the author of relationships. We need to go to the one that created relationship to have a model of what relationship looks like, okay? The model as great as our parents or our siblings or our friends have been, everyone that we know is flawed. Everyone that we know have areas and have issues, okay? If we're going to, to look at how to be safe people, We've got to look at the author of relationship to see what a, a safe relationship is supposed to look like. Okay. So that's what this series is about. This series is going to touch on a few areas. One, we have to go to the author of safe relationship and see what safe relationship looks like. Two, then we have to begin to look at ourselves and see the areas where we need to do work, what safety looks like, first of all, and the areas where we need to do work to become safe people. Then we have to learn how to model being safe people to people around us. Because unless you have had any kind of introduction into relational care, unless you've been even exposed to anything like that, we do relationship based on what we just know, what we learned in our household, what we kind of picked up from society. And we sort of take those things and then we kind of try to figure out on our own what relationship is supposed to look like. But for us as Christians, as people of the world, we don't have to, as people of God, we don't have to do that, right? We have the author of relationship that we can go to 
and see what a relationship is supposed to look like. And we can put that up as a mirror to where the things that we have learned in the world, because let's face it, we all got garbage. We all got baggage. We all got hurts. We all got pains, right? So we use that as a mirror so that the Lord can begin to do a healing work in us so that we become who he has called us to be. And then in turn, we can go out into the world and be the people he's called us to be so that the people that are in our sphere of influence can begin to see what real relationship looks like. And that's your spiritual act of worship and your spiritual act of ministry. A lot of us go, well, you know, we got to go to church. Hey, that's fine, right? But wherever God places you is your ministry. And he wants to do a work in you so that you're prepared to do ministry wherever that is. Okay? So session one today is the components of a safe relationship. So as we were kind of looking at this, um, this really kind of sprung from Ann and Dave's uh, series that they just finished which was called uh, Living Naked. And if none of you have read the book, we suggest that you do. Um, it is a great book. But again, na Living Naked is really about me learning how to live naked before God and before others. Okay, so when we talk about safe relationships, the first thing that we have to realize is God is safe, right? God is safe. And when I say God is safe, that means that I can go to God with all the junk, with all the crap, with all the heartache, with all the rebellion. You know, some people, oh, I can go to God with rebellion. Oh, my goodness. You're speaking heresy in the church. No, I'm not. Right? I can, God is safe enough for me to go to him and give those things to him and know he's not going to reject me. I don't care what people tell you when you on your worst day, God does not turn his back on you. Question. Okay. He just said you on your worst day, God does not turn his back on you. So, how many of us, honestly, close your eyes. I'm going to ask you guys to all close your eyes. Honestly, it's only for Joseph and I only. Raise your hand. How many of you doubt that? Have just this little thing. I see that hand. I see a nod. Yes. Yes. Thank you. You can open your eyes now, guys. Thank you for your honesty, those who raise their hands. I think that one of the things that sometimes causes us to wonder if God is truly saved is something called the Book of Job. Many of us have that as a big question in our hearts because of what we've read, not recognizing we've read it with a particular filter perspective and what we've heard when we've heard Job preached. 
And we look at that and we go, well, God was safe or God was really kind and God was really loving. Why did all that stuff happen to Job? So this is now me on my worst day. And the only biblical context that I have to compare me on my worst day is that guy, Job. Am I right? But we're here to tell you that God is safe. And so what we will invite you to during this series is to allow enough room in your hearts to actually receive that and allow that what we've said to maybe begin to challenge what we've known, what you've known about Job as a context. And if you want, we can talk one-on-one -on -one about it later, but I wanna address that because it's the elephant in most Christians' hearts. It is the elephant that we live with and often we don't recognize that it is so present in, our, in the way we look at God that it actually harms our um, ability to receive as Jean was saying you know I know God loves me but I don't know God loves me so I just want to put that out there ready for me to yeah okay. so today we're going to talk about the components of a safe relationship so Leona's handing out something that we diagrammed which which is called um, a safe relation safe relational tree rings. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the six components that we feel that are major components of a, uh, of a safe relationship. Now these are not all, um, they're not all encompassing and they are, um, again, this is not something that is dogmatic and is linear and A, B, C, D, E is gonna happen, okay? But this is, this is really sort of how relationships happen. And along the way in these safe relationships, we can get stuck in some of these places or we can get to some of these places and we can have things that happen when we are in relationships with unsafe people that have a tendency to destroy these things. So I'm just going to kind of walk through this with you. I'm going to give you the definitions and then we'll talk a little bit about it. So the first component you see there is knowledge. And so the definitions I'm giving you, I'm giving you from dictionary.com. I went through and sort of got some that dealt more with relational um, issues because of the um, the way the dictionary is laid out. So first of all is knowledge. Knowledge is acquaintance with facts, truth or principles, acquaintance or familiarity gained by sight, experience or report. Something that is or may be known, the body of truth or facts accumulated over time. So anytime that we start a relationship, this is really the, 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 the ground. This is actually the foundation, right? So whether you're talking about meeting uh, somebody at work or 
any kind of relationship, that relationship base starts from a knowledge standpoint, right? So I don't know you, I shake your hand. Hi, I'm Joe. Hi, Joe, I'm Paul, how are you doing? Nice to meet you, right? Our relationship starts now by some kind of knowledge. Hey, you know, what do you work? What do you do? Yeah, you know, you have kids, what's your hobbies, right? That's where our relationship starts. That's where any relationship starts, for the most part. Even when you think of a mother and child relationship, when that child is born and there's that bonding, okay, you don't really know sort of how that child goes, right? As that child gets two or three, the parents go, oh, you know, he's really loving or, you know, it's really like bossy. He's really this, he's really that, she's this, she's that. Well, how do you know that? You know that over time because you're watching this child grow every day, you're watching their tendencies, and now you're beginning to know this child, okay? So relationship starts with knowing. The next on that ring you see there is trust. And trust is defined as Reliance on integrity, strength, ability, etc., of a person or a thing, confidence. So I'll take the example of, let's say Paul and I are now in relationship. We're kind of getting to know each other. I'm getting to kind of know Paul, right? At this level now, there begins, there can be some trust as knowledge grows over time. And again, this is not, right, this is, this is fluid. So however long that takes us, we get to a place now where we start building a little bit of trust. Okay, I know some things about Paul. I've been around Paul for a while. Um, I can see that he's, you know, he's got some integrity. You know, he's got, he's a, he seems to be a man of his word. So there's some things that I can trust. Now, I may not be able to trust Paul fully, right? Depending on the age of our relationship and just some things I've seen, but I can trust Paul, right? I can trust Paul to a certain extent. Well, that trust, right, has been built on top of knowledge, right? Started with knowledge. Now there's some trust going on there. Now, as we're talking about relationships, this area of trust is extremely critical, extremely critical. I would venture to say it's extremely critical in every relationship, but it's extreme, it's even more critical in a marriage relationship. Okay, because at, at this level of trust, that if that trust is broken, everything else collapses. <coughs> you know, we've, we've heard situations where there's been maybe infidelity in the marriage. Right? I thought I could trust you. Now, I don't even know if I know you. Right? So all the other things that we talk about after that, again, this is building one on top of another. After that, all those things collapse. And if you've ever been in a relationship that trust has been broken, you realize how hard it is to regain that trust. <clears throat> so as we're going forward and as we're talking about building safe relationships, 
Know this. Whatever relationship you're in, whatever relationship God may put you in or have you in, trust is a very key foundation. You have to be a trustworthy person. Okay, again, we're not perfect, but trust is extremely critical. It's so critical that how many times has God said in his word that you can trust me? Over and over and over and over and over and over, right? We're talking now about the author of relationship. God knows that you got to trust him. You got to know that you know that you know that you know that you can trust him. Right? Because on your worst day, you got to know that there's a God that you can rely on. You got to know that there's a God that's not going to turn his back on you on your worst day. That's why a lot of stuff that we teach in church, we got it backwards. Because on your worst day, if God is not closer to you than he is on your best day, you got a God that's not trustworthy. You got a God that's not trustworthy. And what I'm telling you is you got a God that's trustworthy. So when your mind starts telling you, God can't look on me, this sin's too big, uh, I'm not doing what God's called me to do, this and that, you got to know that you got a God that is right there willing to do whatever he needs to do to help you through that. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times we don't trust God because he doesn't deliver what our quarter in the vending machine wants. So we, we punched in, we want this job promotion, and God got us Exactly, and I think that where we get messed up is this. You know, Jesus said that in this life, you will have trouble. Some say trials. He said, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. If you're looking at that from an earthly perspective, that's going to jack you up. But you have to remember that you're in relationship with a triune God that has an eternal perspective. 
not an earthly perspective. So you're looking at things on the earth from an earthly perspective. God is looking at things from an eternal perspective. Right? How can Paul in a Roman prison, and if you've ever seen one, makes our prisons look like the Taj Mahal, right? How can he say that these light and momentary trials are not worthy to be compared to the glory to be revealed? How can he say that where he is? Because most of us would be in there, Jesus, you got to get me out of here. What did I do? I'm sorry. I'm pr I promise I'll tithe three times as much when I get out. You know, I I'll, I'll be in church every seven days. I'll do all that if you just get me out of here. How could James say count it all joy? Count it all joy. When you're facing various testings. Why would I count that all joy? What is so awesome about endurance? Because he ends the statement about, you know, hey, your endurance is being built. What is so awesome about endurance? I am not in the Olympics. And I, at this rate, I better give it up. I'm not about to run. I'm not about to swim. I'm not about to walk on the balance beam. That's right. I def definitely don't believe in that one. You can tell. So what's the deal? It's also that God's values are completely different from our values. His value system, he's looking at it, as Joe said, from an eternal perspective. Um, Gene is keeping it real that, hey, I prayed for something. You know, he's God. He has all power. He can give me what I want. I want it for a good reason. I need to be able to bring income home. I need to feed my kids, or I need to pay my bills, or I need to do both. It's not because I'm trying to, I'm not praying to be, um, I don't want to pick on, I was going to pick on an MLM, but I'm not going to pick on them. <laughs> I'm not praying to be whatever at the highest at top of some organization, um, which is nothing wrong with that, by the way. There's nothing wrong with that. Jabez prayed that his tents would be enlarged, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, we recognize that, as has been stated differently, we are acculturated in the world. But when we choose to have a relationship with the Lord and we choose to say yes to Christ, our values begin the process we begin the process of learning how to shift those values over to his values seeing the world through his eyes and appropriating his perspective and it is a journey it is not something that just happens overnight yes i think the point you made about being a choice mm -hmm. at some point trust always comes down to a choice do i trust this person mm -hmm. do i trust her mm -hmm. I believe whatever she's telling me. Do I believe what the Bible says? Mm -hmm. um, you're never going to get away from it. You need a choice. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that choice is trusting that what's in the book is true. Mm -hmm. Because you don't have any experience to knowing that he'll take care of you. So you just have to trust and go for faith on testimony of other people. Mm -hmm. um, 
based on your knowledge of what you learned. Doesn't want, you don't want it to be a blind thing, mm -hmm. but you do your best to be educated and knowledgeable, and then you make your decision and you hopefully choose to trust. That's right. Because he rewards us, but it is still a choice. Well, thank you, David, because that leads right into the next component. The next component is faith. Dictionary defines that as confidence or trust in a person or thing. Belief that is not based on proof. The obligation of loyalty or fidelity to a person, promise, engagement, etc. So I found this interesting. At the bottom of it, it says, at the of uh, com, it says Christian theology. The trust in God and his promises as made through Christ and the scriptures by which humans are justified or saved. Justified or saved. I thought that was interesting. But um, again, faith. So faith and trust, right, are really right there. Right. definition includes one and the other. The definition has the other in it. But again, it's why God keeps going, trust me. You can trust me. You can trust me. You can trust me. The key for us as his people is, and I think Gene uh, really pointed out, which was great, is there's always a head knowledge that we've got, right? So you read the Bible and say, okay, well, I'm supposed to trust God. I'm supposed to trust God. Okay, well, I trust God. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Okay. But where you know is on your worst day. Where you know is when you just lost that job. When you know that the mortgage guy comes knocking on your door and wants to foreclose on your house. Where you know is when the doctor gives you that report that you didn't want. That's where you know. That's where it becomes real. That's where the rubber meets the road. Because, see, I can come to church and say hallelujah, throw my hands up, have a good smile, and say, yeah, you know what? I trust God. I believe in God and those kind of things. But I'm really going to know when the bottom falls out of my life. That's when I'm really going to know. William uh, Paul Young, the writer of The Shock, also the, the movie, many people saw it, many people ran away from it. Um, but I heard him speak and he talked about the concept that um, in Christianity, um, we actually have a lot of um, unbelieving believers. We can proclaim, we can quote the scripture, we can demonstrate it in parts of our lives. But we actually, when the rubber meets the road, in that quiet place where the scripture is examining us or life causes us um, to have to come to that place of examine and examination of what we really believe, we uncover the fact that we really don't trust the word of God and we don't trust the person behind the word. And we give in to... Um, all the theories that we hear in the world or all of a sudden we want to read we want to know about the secret or da vinci or 
we start watching more Oprah or whatever the case may be, um, we find that deep down inside where the rubber meets the road that we actually struggle. And for some of us, it's that is the revelation that we struggle to believe God. And for some of us, it's the, I actually don't really believe him in these areas. And we don't struggle. We just let that be. Um, and so that concept of unbelieving believers is um, something that I often use to challenge myself. Am I an unbelieving believer in this area? So this um, really hit home for me about four years ago. Yeah. <clears throat> Leona was going to work and uh, as usual, and she progressively began to get more and more and more tired to the point where she couldn't even lift up a bag. So we knew something was wrong. So test after test after test and <coughs> excuse me and um, we didn't know what was going on and, and the doctors didn't know what was happening. Um, but to make a long story short, um, she had a defective heart valve. So at that point, we didn't know whether her valve had to be replaced. <coughs> excuse me. We didn't know whether the valve had to be replaced or what that meant. Didn't have an idea. So we've been Christians for a while. I thought I was doing all the right things, right? So this stuff shouldn't happen to us. <coughs> and I had to, and it challenged me. It challenged me in a lot of areas that I thought I believed. And the day that she went into surgery, this, I mean, this shook my world to the core. <coughs> Excuse me. Because of all the things that shouldn't happen when you're a Christian. And I remember sitting in that waiting room and hearing God very clearly saying, do you trust me? Now, that wasn't to trust him to get the outcome that I wanted. Is do you trust me? Do you trust that when I say that all things work together for good for those who love God and call according to his purpose? Do I believe that or not? See, there's a lot of areas in the Bible where they're not gray areas. <coughs> there are a lot of statements that aren't gray area statements. So when God brought that scripture to memory, I had to either stand on it or not. I had to believe in it. I had to be all in or not. I couldn't believe it 98%. I couldn't believe it 99.9%. I had to be all in. Because God has asked me before, Joe, are you all in? Because guess what? This is an all in deal. 
you know, I know some of us like to have, you know, one toe, like, in the church, one toe in the world. You know, I want to, like, you know, kind of be over here and kind of be over here. You know, Sunday I'm real good. Monday I'm doing this other stuff. But, you know, God knows. I'm like, you know, you know God, God's okay with that. Jesus died for sin. You know, it's all right. Are you all men? Because I got to be all men at Thursday night at 2 o'clock in the morning when everybody's asleep and I'm the only one up and the internet's on. Just like I am Sunday morning when I'm in this church saying hallelujah. That's what all men means. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox. So cool. Yes. Openness. What scripture was that? What scripture, the one that you just said to us about all things work together for the community? It's in Romans 828. Yeah. Thank you, guys. No, that's okay. <coughs> Excuse me. The next component. Okay. Openness. Without a covering, especially a protective covering unprotected, unenclosed, exposed, acting publicly or without concealment as a person, unreserved, candid or frank as persons or their speech aspect, etc. I think of David dancing in worship when I read this definition of openness. David was open um, before the Lord. Got him in trouble with somebody else. She didn't care that he was being so open. But openness. Are we open with one another? Are we open without necessarily... Are we open with God without attacking God or judging God first? And again, as you see, all these again are building one on top of the other. right? Because when I know someone and trust and can have faith, right? This begins to lead to me being able to be more open. And this is never more important than between us and our God. All right? Because, first of all, God already knows everything you're doing, everything you're thinking. You know, let's not fool ourselves. There are no secret sins, right? Because guess what? He's living inside of you, and he never leaves you or forsakes you. So you're not doing anything in secret, right? The openness is not for God's benefit. Benefit is for your benefit. Okay, because again, in this relationship, remember he's the author of safety. He's trying and trying and trying to tell you that I'm a safe God. I'm a safe God. You can come to me. Trust me. Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If Christ could come in the middle of your mess, in the middle of your spitting on him, in the middle of you cursing him, in the middle of you calling him every name that you can possibly think of, and you can commit every kind of sin that you could ever think to commit, and Jesus still came for you. What makes you think that when you commit a sin now, that we teach in the churches, oh, God can't look on sin. 
I'm just going to turn my back because I can't look on your sin. You know what God is saying at that point? When you clean yourself up, when you say you're sorry enough times, when you grovel enough, then I'll think about coming back in the relationship with you. Does that make any sense? Is that even scriptural? And we teach it on Sundays in churches. Is that scriptural? Read the Bible for yourself. I'll give you $100 right now if you can prove to me that that is scriptural. Because it's not. It doesn't make any sense. It's the same thing as when we say that when Jesus died on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We teach that God turned his back on Jesus at that particular moment because he can't look on sin. Really? Think about it. God gave us minds and the Bible. Think about it. That means at your worst point, at the worst sin that you ever committed, he will turn your back. But if that's the case, he couldn't say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because never means never. Right? Never means never. So don't let Satan tell you when you commit the unpardonable sin that somehow or another God will turn his back on you. It is not scriptural. It's a lie. And I got it on tape. So anybody who wants to challenge me can challenge me on that. It cannot be so. The one that he spent in eternity, he would turn his back on at that very moment. Now, I'm not saying he didn't say that, but I believe he said that from his position as being human. Think about it. He was in the garden. Right? And he was sweating. He was like, I don't want to do this. God, if there's any way that we could we could do this differently, let's not do it. That was Jesus Christ from eternity, knowing that he was going to come, knowing that he was going to suffer. So you're trying to tell me at that particular point, Jesus was so scared he wanted to back out? He's standing in our place as human beings. We would be the ones that if we were there, because trust me, if it was me, you better believe I'm saying that. You, you better believe, God, you better come up with another plan. Because when I see being filleted open like a, flit, a fish and being put on, no way. I wouldn't do that for one person. What about for the whole world? And I'm just being open and gut level honest with God. And you know what? He's perfectly okay with that. Because he's saying, you know what? That's why I sent Jesus. Because I know you couldn't do it. I know you couldn't do it. And you know what? That's fine. I don't look down on you. You're not a bad person. You're not an evil person. You're a human being. I created you. I understand. Don't believe a lie of the enemy. That tells you that your God will turn your turn his back on you because of something that you did. Gina's hand up. When we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that becomes our God. 
God sees. I mean, it's, it's, that's what God the Father sees. Mm-hmm. He sees the Son. Mm-hmm. He doesn't see us. He sees it through the cross. He sees the forgiveness. He sees that the debt was paid. And that's the part that we forget. Because we're so self-centered and we're so self- And she said it. (laughs) Whatever. Mm -hmm. Because it's all about us, what we do, Mm -hmm. what we don't do. And it's got nothing. When we've accepted Christ, that's the picture. Mm -hmm. You know? That's Mm -hmm. the picture that God sees. And we need to remember that. We're covered in the blood of Christ. We're covered in the blood. And you know what? When you look at it from a physical sense, that's nasty. It's messy. It's, it's, it's painful. It's all of those things, which is exactly what our sin is as well. But it's been covered. And the good news is it didn't stop on the cross. It went into the grave, and it rose again. That's the focus. Put your hands up if you are Christ on the cross. But do it over here. So what Jean is talking about, this is us in Christ. Right? We're covered. Not that God can't see us. Yeah. But oftentimes we, we say, Jesus, I want you. Thank you so much for paying for my sin. And I mean it. I know I don't have that affect right now as I'm saying it to you. But I really, we really do mean it. And then later on, about a month after we've been told by other Christians that, you know what, it gets hard. We go like this, okay, Jesus, thank you so much. You did it. Now I can, what you want me to do? Stack chairs? You want me to help 25 people at the same time? Oh, she you, you went there. Forget about my husband. He can take care of himself. I got to get together with my sis here. You know, she needs me. That's what we do. We come out from under our covering. And we begin to fulfill all the things that we think we need to fulfill or check off on God's box so that we can always have this wonderful letter on the fridge, A, for X, for, for the top student in God's little school. Don't work like that. Don't work like that. Yeah. Many times we are our own worst enemies. Because just like Jean was saying, a lot of times we look at it and say, you know what? If that was me, I wouldn't forgive me. I wouldn't forgive me. What I did was so horrible. There's no way I wouldn't forgive me. So if I wouldn't forgive me, of course God wouldn't forgive me. That's right. So I got to do more. So I got to do more. Okay. We're going to wrap this up real quick. Um, No, come here. Um, So vulnerability, uh, capable or susceptible of being wounded or hurt as by a weapon open to moral attack criticism or temptation okay openness should lead to vulnerability and you know what we're going to stop right there we'll stop right there and we'll pick up next week um and then we'll talk about also what's on the back of your um, paperwork so when you're coming next week if you could do me a favor please bring those handouts with you and we'll pick up there so we'll go ahead and pray. And um, close out. So Father, we just thank you. We thank you and we just bless you for being the author of relationship, the author of safe relationship. Father, I thank you that we can trust you 100%. We can trust you with everything. We can trust you on our best day and our, or our worst day. 
Father, we can trust you because you love us unconditionally. Your word, Lord, says in 2 Peter 1, 3, your divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him uh, who, gave it, who gave it by our good, by his goodness and knowledge. And so, Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for a relationship unlike any other. We thank you, Lord, that we can be totally open and vulnerable and that we are totally safe and secure in you. Father, may this go deep into our spirits and do a work in us, Lord, that we cannot do for ourselves. And so, Father, that we can have joy unspeakable. And, Father, that we can go into the world, Father, and that we could love like no, uh, like no one else. Father, that we may have the opportunity to speak of the greatest love ever given to mankind. We love you more than words can say. I, I pray, Lord, that this word go deep into every spirit and every heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We'll see you guys next week.